All right, previously, I always wanted to say that, previously at Richland Church of Nazarene, we just finished a series, uh, Dancing Like David Dance. I will dance like David danced. Um, and in that series, we looked at four words that are kind of like lost sheep, right? They had wandered off from their biblical home, and we found that once we returned these poor lost sheep, these, these four words, to their biblical home, they, they became powerful again, right? They became the rich words that they were meant to be, and they led us to want to dance with the triune God, right? Participate with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But again, crucial to all this is they all call, all four words called for active participation. You can't be a spectator in this dance called life. You simply can't sit back and watch. Um, you have to join the dance pair choruses of that Greek word that describes that beautiful relationship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they invite us to join them in this incredible relationship of love. In our prayer life, in our devotional life, they're constantly inviting us, asking us to join in their incredible, beautiful relationship. That's what we are called to be a part of. And that, that's just exciting, just all by itself. And here's where we ended up. What part exactly do we play? <clears throat> right? Do we, uh, you know, if you can envision the dance kind of going with the metaphor, are we just kind of limp dolls or do we actually, can we actively uh, impact the tempo and the style of the dance? Are we active participants in this dance that we're joining? Or are we expected to just be quiet and stay out of the way? You're right. And let God do what God does. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of different opinions about this kind of stuff. Huge amount of opinions about this stuff. Some are very formal. Some are very not formal. Some very simple. Some incredibly complex. And, and all of these ways that we participate with the triune God, they're all reflected in our, our songs in our, our denominations, our doctrines, our worship styles, uh, the way we do devotions. I mean, the way we live our life, there's a lot of different opinions that have been formed about what part we play and what part God plays. And if we play a part at all, what part is that? Because we know the part he plays. He died for our sins. He loved us that much that he died for our sins. So we know the part he plays. Where do we, where do we come in? So we landed on a word last week, one of those four words, that kind of sets the tempo, kind of gives us a mindset as we move into some things with this series. We're going to be looking at some things that God has called us to do. Therefore, we're going to be initiating them, and we're therefore going to be in trouble of getting prideful because it's kind of going to be about us and our practices. So as we discover in this series some of the things that God has called us to respond to, keep in mind this, this word fear of the Lord. Hit that next slide there. Fear of the Lord. That's that, that mindset that says, you know, I'm not right on everything and I'm willing to listen to your opinion and leave it at that. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord kind of just knocks pride clear out of the room. Because when we start talking about God and we start talking about the Bible, people have huge disagreements. They do. And if we all kind of keep this word kind of in front of us, again, pride goes out and discussion and love is allowed room to grow. Right? Fear of the Lord. And again, this is a characteristic we learn in corporate worship. We spend time in God's word. And again, it's not, a, it's not a fear of disappointing our Savior. It's really, excuse me, it's a fear of disappointing our Savior, not a fear of punishment. Right? So make sure we got the, the right meaning of this word. We looked at this last week. Um, a healthy respect for the vast distance between the creator and his creatures. Huge distance. And yet he closed that distance with the love of his son. Right? 
So again, as we look into the practices that we participate in, never, never, never let it leave your mind that um, we're in the presence, we're, we're, we're being allowed into the presence of a holy God. And what he does and what he knows compared to what we do and what we know as we go into these Bible studies and these private practices that we're going to discuss, just keep in mind, if you think you have all the answers, maybe you don't. Um, let God's Spirit work with you with this whole series. Maybe change some of the practices that you've kind of hung on to for a long time. Maybe adjust some, pick up some practices, maybe drop some practices. So that's, that's kind of what we're doing with this um, What's Next series. So to guide us this morning, I want to look at just a couple passages, three of them in particular. Um, this is going to guide us on what Jesus wants us to take, it, and it's a, it's a surprising journey. It's going to surprise a lot of you. Um, when I read this, when I began to really get into it, I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't, this sounds, and I dig, 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 and I realized, wow, what Jesus is calling us to is, is a surprising journey. It, it, it's a little shocking. But a couple passages to guide us. This is in Psalms chapter 2. It says, therefore, you kings, be wise. Uh, be warned, you rulers of the earth. And that is in a position that you are all in now with the Holy Spirit in your life. You are rulers and kings of the world. We can just go with that. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Right? Never cease to be aware of that distance, right? And in the New Testament, in case you're wondering, you know, maybe Jesus replaced the fear of the Lord, like, because he just talked about love all the time. Not so. Check this out. This is his disciple, uh, Paul. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And again, you think, what? I could have sworn that, that Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and he said, be bold. Speak with boldness, right? Not a spirit of timidity. And I'm like, how does that match fear and trembling? Well, the answer is right there. As soon as you realize it's, it, God is the key and we're not the key, by the way, that's kind of what we're driving at with the fear of the Lord idea. Once we realize, again, who God is and who we aren't, um, and it says it right there, for it's God who does the work, not us. As soon as we get it into our minds that it's all about us and we're doing the work, the fear and trembling goes away and the pride takes its place in arrogance and meanness and we don't need any, 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 any of that, right? Then, then... Once we begin truly living like the creatures that he has created us to be, we arrive at this passage right here, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And what we see in this passage, again, are three different kinds of fears. One is an unspiritual fear, right? Some of us fear God, like he's going to punish us. That's a pretty unscriptural, unspiritual kind of fear. Another fear we have is kind of, I guess you'd call a worldly fear. We're scared to death that the world's going to hurt us, right? But then we have this fear of the Lord, this third kind of fear that really drives out the first two. If you have fear of the Lord, you're no longer afraid of the, the fact that he might punish you. You're no longer afraid of the idea that the world's going to punish you. You're just not afraid anymore. In other words, check this out. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. So don't stop at fear of the Lord. Recognize that if you respect him and honor him for who he is, then he just begins to shower you because you've, you've got the right posture. You're not demanding. You're not flippant. Nothing like that. You recognize you're in the presence of a holy God 
but he loves you enough to listen to you and want to make your life better. That's just crazy. So two stories very quickly to move the conversation forward. And if you're new with us this morning, I'd like to do this. We kind of introduce the idea and then we're going to sing some more praises to our God and worship. We're going to do a little bit of prayer. Um, and then I'm going to come back up here and we're going to dig in a little deeper into scripture. So again, this is just the introduction. Don't go to sleep yet. You're going to have a little break and then you can go to sleep. All right. Hang in there. All right. So I want to tell a story about James. James is a kid. He's in his early 20s. He was far from God. And one night his friend invites him to go to a Bible study. He goes to a Bible study and he finds out that God loves him. He was always, he'd always thought that God was mad at him. He found out that God loves him so much that he'd sent his son Jesus to die for him. And that very night, James became a Christian, gave his life to Jesus. And as he's explaining this story to a writer that this book I'd been reading, he says, you know, all the cliches, all the cliches that I used to make fun of came true in my life. I was born again. I, I, I heard a voice. I, I mean, I felt clean. I felt this burden. All this stuff that all these people have always been talking about, but I always thought that's just silly. It all happened to me. And he's telling the writer this incredible story. But then he stops and he says, but here's the problem, writer. Can't remember who wrote the book. Um, here's the problem. Um, I've met a lot of friends, new Christian friends. And the way I understand it is... God did everything for me. I can't add anything to the equation. When Christ died, it's all about what he did and not what I do. And yet I've met a lot of these Christian friends and they all have very, very strict self-disciplined lives and they've got these lists of rules that go on and on and on. And writer, I, I don't understand, right? I, I, I loved it. I drank it in like I'd been in the desert for, for weeks without water and I, it was just such a beautiful idea that... that that my life was worthy of God. No matter how broken and messed up it was, it was worthy of God and that he would die for me. And now all these people are saying that I got to keep all these rules if God is going to stay happy with me. That just doesn't seem to make sense. And so he says, you know, I need to go. And I know I need to start praying. I need to read my Bible. I need to go to church. I need to stop destructive habits, right? Help people in need. Introduce people to Jesus. And eventually I get to go to heaven. But is that all? Is that all there is? To being a Christian. And he'd ask his church friends, and the church friend said, Well, some people go a little further. Some people, God calls them into vocational ministry, and then they become pastors or missionaries or something like that. And he begins to think, James thinks, You know, so where does that leave me? I don't sense a call by God to be a missionary or a preacher. I'm a trained computer scientist. Does that mean that all the important spiritual issues, I get shuffled off to the side and I'm just going to be a computer science nerd until I die? And everyone else, some other people get to be called and they get to be, you know, heroes and they, they get to do the stand up on the stage and, and, and do all this kind of stuff. And so, so is, all, is, is my whole life, all that training, all that effort, is, is it all a waste now? Does, can God only use it if I'm a pastor? I mean, there's got to be more to this than simply being good. And James concluded, if our efforts count for nothing, then why bother except to go to heaven. And if I'm perfectly honest, I've thought about that when I was young. I thought, what I really want is I want to go to heaven. I don't want to do a bunch of stuff I don't want to do. And that's what I felt like the Bible was laying before me. Jerry, if you want heaven, you're going to have to do a lot of stuff you don't want to do. Jesus would argue differently. And that's where we're going to go this morning. Second story, Jenny and Philip are board members. You would not want to be a part of this board. This sounds like just a horrible, horrible board. Our board is beautiful. 
Just in case you're wondering, they love each other and we all get along. These two don't get along. Jenny and Philip, um, they're deciding whether to hire a pastor and this pastor has been remarried. Right? A divorce and now he's remarried. And Jenny has decided this church cannot have a pastor like that. How can a pastor like that teach young couples who are thinking about being married for a lifetime? How can a pastor who, who failed at that, how can a pastor like that teach? Right? How can a pastor like that teach our young people the importance of abstinence and things like that if we have somebody who's living in an adulterous, according to the Bible, according to Jenny's Bible, he's in an adulterous relationship. Because he's married a, a woman who's already married. He's been once married. And, and nope, nope, nope. He, now, Philip, he has a different opinion. His opinion is, hey, 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 you know the way I've learned it. Jesus gives everybody a second chance and more second chances and more second chances. That's what Jesus was about. Even his disciples, it took them forever to figure this out. We all got to, you know, maybe we need to kind of toss the rules just a little bit and live by grace, Jenny. And he's looking at her. And he's thinking, you know, the Jesus I knew in the Bible... He included the people that self-righteous people, and again, he's staring at Jenny, the self-righteous people excluded. The Jesus I know would never exclude anybody, ever. And so we got these two opinions. Jenny's like, and, and, and according to Philip, she's a cold, hard legalist. She's a Pharisee. But according to Jenny, Philip is one of these postmodern relativists, right? Everything is a gray area. There's no black and white. Just go with what you feel, right? And we got these two sides. And to add a layer to James's question, so how do I live until I die? That was James's question. And Jenny and Philip are actually asking, hit that next slide there, please. Um, do I follow the rules or do I toss the rules? Jenny's like, hey, let's follow the rules. Philip's like, no, toss the rules. We live by God's grace and forgiveness and mercy. And so we got these two people arguing. And here's the crazy thing. Debate, this debate is being played out all over the world, not just in the church world. The world out there uses different words. Hit that next slide there. Here's how the church world, or excuse me, the world outside the church, this is the way they put it. You know, how should I live? How do I make moral decisions? How do I know right from wrong? Um, what am I here for? So we're going to look at an event in the book of Mark, chapter 10. And it's recorded in all the Gospels but John. And in all three stories, Jesus provides a rather startling and, and, and kind of a surprising third way to live where we're not living by the rules, but we're also not living whatever I feel the Spirit leading me. That's by golly what I'm going to do. I don't care what the Spirit's telling any of the rest of you. I'm going to do this. So, so, and, and both of them have a lot of spiritual, biblical grounds for living that way. They're, they're, but Jesus says, you know what? I got a better way. There's a third way. There's a third way. There's, there's my way. Kind of falling between the rules and tossing the rules. So it answers the question, what's next? And again, many of you have already formed opinions. Rules are this or rules are not that. For just a little moment, we're going to pray now. And for just a moment, I want you just to lay down all of your presuppositions, everything that you believe to be true or not true about our participation in this whole dance kind of thing, right? Should we have rules? Should we not have rules? I'm guessing if I could right now have you raise hands and move to one side of the room, kind of a continuum, one to ten, you would, we would have quite a range of rule keepers and rule tossers, right? I, I, I'm positive. I'm, in fact, I'm guessing that husbands and wives would not even be standing next to each other, right? Because I know I would be standing near one end and my wife would be standing at the other end. We don't agree on a lot of this kind of stuff. This is where the fear of the Lord comes in as we discuss this stuff. Keep that fear of the Lord at the front of your mind. 
We don't know everything. I don't know everything. You don't know everything. God alone knows everything. So let's just be careful with each other. Let's hold each other tenderly as we discuss these, these things that we're going to be moving into. I'd like to pray now. And again, the altars are going to be open. If that's a comfortable place for you to pray. Um, we have some, a lot of things going on. Patty, Patty Wilson had to stay home today. Um, shingles. Added everything else. And from what I understand, I haven't had them. I don't know if... <laughs> I'm praying I won't. Um, they're not very comfortable. Quite painful. So be praying for Patty and, and Dan. Um, difficult. Um, a lot of things going on in our congregation. You guys have been reading our bulletin. There's a lot of prayer requests. A lot of things going on. So in this, in this, in this next couple minutes, lift up those that you, you know need to be lifted up. Present their names before the Lord. Pray for them. But also pray for what we're going to talk about in just a little bit. What role do the rules play? And what does Jesus say about these rules? Should we keep them, toss them, or is there a better way? Bow your heads. Father, we're, we're, you've given us so much information in your word. You've given us information in your world. And you've given us information in your son. And yet... Not all of our questions have been answered. We wandered so many things, Father. But I also feel like your word tells us to just relax. Um, you've got things under control. We don't have to strive for these things. You give them with an open hand. We just have to make the right choices. So, Father, this morning... I know I've tried to make right choices and, and I fail, but when you step into the equation, I succeed far more often because you give me power that I didn't have on my own. So, Father, this morning, every person in this room who's seeking to understand this, what are, what's the role of rules in my life? Am I a, the older son who lived by the rules or am I the younger son that rejected the rules? God's word tells us that, Lord, you love both of these sons. One's a rule breaker, one's a rule tosser. Father, they're both dangerous. And by way of your son this morning, Father, that we could find a middle way, a better way, your son's way. Where, where we can have a lifestyle that rules point toward but could never produce. Father, make us Christ-like seems to me that everything else will fall into place if we become more Christ-like. So, Father, this morning, every person in this room, that would be our prayer, that with our neighbors and our family and our friends, that they would see Christ in us and that our lives would reflect, Father, your glory, not our glory, that in our lives they would see you. They would see a life transformed, a life that was once mean, now beautiful. Father, we can't do this on our own. We've been trying for thousands of years, and it seems to me the only ones that succeed are the ones who call on your name. And in no matter what circumstances, they're always happy. They're always filled with joy, and they have peace. This goes past all of our understanding. 
Father, I can't imagine anybody in this room not wanting that this morning. So, Father, our prayer this morning is that we would have that kind of a life where we trust you entirely because you are 100% trustworthy to us. You have been faithful, Lord. Help us to be faithful to you. And this morning, through this, this parable that Jesus told, this, this incident, this event, that we would discover something about ourselves and maybe discover what true riches are. Father, give us the kind of life that you created us for. You've done your part. You continue to do your part. Father, by the power of your spirit, help us to continue to do our part. Help us to run and not grow weary. Thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I need to tell you one more story, and then we're going to tackle Jesus' take on this whole, this whole issue here. Summer of 2008. Anybody remember what happened in 2008? A lot. Come on, are you serious? A lot happened in that year, but there was one really big news item in 2008, and it just about crushed a lot of people. Anybody remember anything happening in 2008? There you go. See, something happened in 2008. I'm sure everybody could come up with something, but no, that's not, I don't, yeah, that, that's not it. Um, crash market, the, the stock market crashed big time. Everybody lost tons, uh, tons of money. You know, everybody, uh, my, my parents, right? They, they had a, a lot in stock. They were retired and I think half, half was gone. I can't remember exactly what they said, but um, it was pretty traumatic. Um, it, was, it was a big, big, big deal. Um, and again, lots of reasons stand out how this happened, but, but one that writers talk about was deregulation. Deregulation. There were a lot of rules removed, maybe quietly removed from the, from the economy um, in the 20 years before 2008. Um, bankers had said that, that the rules were too restrictive, right? In order to make the economy grow, you had to take risks, had to have a risky kind of mindset. Um, and this is where we ended up. And now what's going on is re-regulation. Right? Time to tighten things back up. And, and, and we go back and forth, swinging back and forth between deregulation and re-regulation. Um, and and it, it's not just in the church world. Right? It's in the world of banking. It's in the world of our relationships. Right? You look at the laws today and what are they writing laws about now? Our personal sexual relationships. That's like they're writing laws about all this kind of stuff. And in power, in politics... You knew I was going to get to the politicians, right? Cheating within the rules. I was, that always cracks me up. But, well, I was allowed to, but it was morally wrong. Yeah, but I was allowed to. It was within the rules. And you just think, ah, there's something wrong about this. There's this. This man is missing something. This politician is missing something, right? So deregulation happens when people want to apply the gray zone. And then when chaos happens, we re-regulate, right? Reintroduce black and white rules and open and get us back on track. But here's the problem. Check this out. Introducing new regulations doesn't get to the heart of the problem. Tossing the rules certainly doesn't help, but rules themselves will not solve the problem either. One banker said this about adding more rules, the re-regulation. He says, any good banker can easily hire a smart accountant and a lawyer. Check all the boxes, then go around the back of the system and do exactly what they want. So the issue isn't rules, and we all, we all think that. We see something, it's like, okay, we've got to write a few more rules. Just a few more rules. A few more rules, and that'll fix it. Just a, like, is anybody reading any of these rules, and is anybody reading, let alone following them? We've got rules, rules, rules. 
So what's the answer? And probably the scariest, and this, this, is, this is one of Jesus' things that bugged me when I was a little kid, no end. It was, it was scary. This challenge that he issues to us. I mean, he said a lot of challenging kind of things, right? He was just a challenging kind of guy. But in this passage, probably the most challenging conversation Jesus ever had with somebody. And in this conversation, he offers us a third way. That lies between adding more rules to the list and just letting the Spirit lead you. I'll start in Mark chapter 10. And your homework kind of this morning, I kind of like love giving out homework. Um, go read the rest of chapter 10. I'm only going to talk about from verses 17 to about 22, 23 this morning. But I want to challenge you. Go home and read the rest of Mark. It all encapsulates this rich young ruler story. Everything that happens before the rich young ruler, everything that happens, kind of go home and say, how is this related to the rich young ruler? How are these other stories related? And that's your homework assignment. I'm not going to give you any help. Right? I'm going to start with verse 17, chapter 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we wouldn't have recognized this because, number one, we're not Jesus. Number two, we're not Jewish. Number three, actually, we don't, we aren't 2,000 years old. But in this day, aristocrats don't run. Rich young rulers don't run. They don't run, ever. That's how they get, never mind. They don't run. And it's clear that this man came to Jesus. His, his whole mindset was like, I, I need a quick answer. He's out of breath. Like, give me the answer, give me the answer, and then I got to go. Like, I don't care about you, but I need an answer, I got to go. So already this mindset. And then the whole good teacher thing, right? Nowhere in Jewish literature, nowhere does anybody call a rabbi good teacher. Nowhere. This, is, this was borderline insulting. Because every rabbi, if you've ever sat underneath the rabbi, the one thing that you know they'll always say is there's nothing good but the law. Nothing good but the law. That was just repeated ad nauseum. And yet this man comes up and calls him good teacher. And immediately Jesus goes, ah, time out, foul, illegal procedure, flag, right? Says, hey, 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 slow down, slow down, slow down. Nobody's good but God. You know this. It's like, okay, 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 Jesus, okay. But I got a question, I got a question. So we're going to continue with the story here. Um, Good teacher, he asked, what must I do? That's, that's the third thing I want you to notice. Again, what about on right over the top of our heads? What must I do, right? He's, he's totally in the Jewish system. It's all about what we do. And he's wondering, what, what more do I got to do to experience life with the Father, to experience the, the age to come, and in, in, in our world to experience heaven or experience heaven now even with the power of the Holy Spirit? What must I do? And again, his very way of phrasing the question betrays him. He's thinking of rules and regulations. And finally, important to note, he's talking about eternal life. Let's just very quickly, we've talked about this a lot. When we hear this verse, we think of heaven. In our mind, a lot of you already replaced the word eternal life with, what must I do to inherit heaven? What must I do to go to heaven? That's really not what he's talking about. Uh, we can, it's a rough comparison, but to the Jewish person, there was the, this age, and there was going to be a mighty day of the Lord, and then there was going to be the age to come. And they believed that they would live, it wouldn't be a future thing where you die, but it would be right now, it was going to happen. In fact, the Messiah was supposed to usher it in, there'd be a terrible day of the Lord, and then there would be a new age to come where justice and mercy and grace and forgiveness was everywhere. Peace rules the land. Everything was just fantastic. And he's basically, he wants to know, he, he wants hope. 
He wants hope. But again, just make sure we're clear. Um, he wants to participate. He, he's a smart guy. He understands that today's consequences, today's actions have consequences for tomorrow. And so he's thinking in his mind, I want to be able to live comfortably in this age to come. So what do I got to do right now to get used to living so that I can live comfortably in the age to come? Does that make sense? I want to live right now the way I'm going to live forever. So what do I got to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? Again, he wants hope. That's all he wants. How can I know for sure that I'm good enough? How can I know for sure that I'm good enough? What type of person must I be to live and enjoy that future age? How must I behave? Now we're getting to church words. How must I behave? And again, the world asks the exact same questions, but with different words. See, we ask, the church world asks, how should I behave? The world outside the church is asking kind of the same question, but with different words. What do I do to be happy? We're kind of both driving at the same thing, right? We want to go to heaven. They want to be happy. What? But we're all asking, we're all saying, well, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? The world's asking because they know that there's a deep, satisfying life and they can feel it in their bones, right? But they... It slips away every time. And I mean, we can even add to the question, how do we even know what happiness is? I'll tell you what, I used to think 7-Elevens from Slurpee were the end of the world. I mean, that was, that was the best thing since sliced bread, right? Then I, then I met Diane. So how are we even supposed to know what happiness is? Because we're all limited by our experiences. You have no idea what true happiness is in your world. You know what happiness is in your world, but you don't know what it is in this other world. Or we're kind of trapped in our experience. How do we even know what happiness is? See, now many, again, many assume that the first question is for the Christians and the second question is for the world. Because they're wrongly assuming that to have fun and to be happy, you got to what? Break the rules. Is that what the world thinks, right? In order to have fun, you got to bend or break a few rules. But Jesus would argue, and I believe that longtime followers of Jesus would argue that, no, you can be happy. You can behave and be happy at the same time. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. It's a third way that Jesus is offering us. The conversation continues. Verse 19, it says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't defraud. Those are kind of two of the same thing. Honor your father and mother. Now, Matthew and Luke, same story. But in all three gospels, there's a different... Each one of them, Jesus lists different things. They're very, very close, but that tells us a couple things. First of all, Jesus isn't just listing the Ten Commandments. He includes quite a few of them. He includes like four or five of them. But also, like in the book of Matthew, he includes, um, have you loved your neighbor as yourself? That's really not one of the commandments, but in Matthew, Jesus, Matthew has Jesus saying that. But in the book of Luke, or, or Mark, um, he's listing off these things. And again, many people wrongly believe that the Jewish system was a, a kind of a, um, a merit and reward system. I do good and God rewards me. That, that's really kind of, that, that's wrong. I mean, it was, it was actually, um, this was God's agreement. God said, look, I will be your God if you follow these rules. And if you don't follow these rules, I won't be your God. I'll turn you loose and you can, good luck with that. So again, this isn't just straight across, um, I do a good thing and he gives me a, a good check mark. I mean, this is the agreement that God put into place. This was the law. And this man seems to be following the law really well. He's doing a good job. He said yes to nearly everything. 
But Jesus recognizes something, that the man is missing something, and that's why the man came running up. He knows he's followed the law, but he knows in his heart and his soul there's something missing. Something. I'm not experiencing the joy and the peace that I I should be. There's something missing here. And Jesus looked at him and loved him because Jesus knew. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And I kid you not, this verse scared me to death my whole life. It was like I was worried about having a job, first of all, and then being able to afford a car and a house and all this stuff. That, and, you know, I'm making like a buck seventy-five an hour, and I can't imagine I'll ever make enough money to have a house or a car. And, and then Jesus tells me that if I ever get one, i got to sell it. I mean, this, this bothered me. This passage that bothered me, it still, I think it bothers a lot of people. It's like, well, you know, in order to follow you, i got to go sell everything that I have. Then come and follow me. The missing piece of the puzzle for the rich young ruler and for all of us. Anyone know what, what commandment he missed? This, is, this has kind of been a topic of discussion with lots of people. There's ten commandments. We're going to go with that for just a moment. Even though Jesus wasn't really listing just the ten commandments, he included a few other things. Um, the first four is about God, your relationship with God, and the second six are about your relationship with other people. Number five, the first of the second six is honor your mom and dad. All three gospels put honoring mom and dad last. Why do you think Jesus would put that last? Everything else he listed in order. I think Jesus purposely put mom and dad out of order. It's like the last thing he said, um, and honoring your mom and dad. Right? And you're going, oh, oh, wait, what? You immediately get the idea that this rich young ruler probably didn't honor his mom and dad. And you find out very quickly the, the commandment that he skips is the coveting one, the one that has to do with greed. Doesn't mention that one. Jesus doesn't mention it, but he nails it. Says your issue is you're, you covet. You're a greedy person. You don't even treat your mom and dad right. You're kind of a loot. Well, he didn't say that, but he loved him. He understood that he was searching for him. But he he knew what, but he didn't know how. That's kind of what we're driving at this whole series. We know what, but we don't know how to go about it. I know I need to lose weight, right? Now, some of you, maybe you're in that same boat. You know you need to lose weight, and, and you look at and But the deal is you know you need to lose weight, but, but which plan? And you spend, like, years and you're, you're the whole rest of your life looking at all the different ways to lose weight. You know you got to lose weight, but how to lose weight? Will it be this diet plan? Will it be this exercise plan? Will it be this exercise buddy? How do I go about it? We all know what to do, but we don't know how to go about it. And that was this young man's problem. He knew about eternal life. He knew that that's what he wanted. He knew the facts, but he didn't know how to go about it and Jesus gave him a way to go about it and he went away sad see here's the real challenge don't just add another rule setting the bar the moral bar a little bit higher Christ is calling us to be radically different people entirely don't just add something to what you are already he is asking us to become radically different people People who build on his kingdom instead of our own kingdoms. This is the surprising journey that Jesus wants to take us on. It's a journey of transformation of character. Right? The whole debate between Paul and James, it's really not a debate at all. James nails it. A faith without works really is dead. A faith without works isn't a faith at all. There's no life transformation there's no character transformation whatsoever. They just go about and they have, they have a mental assent. Yes, Jesus is the son of God. Yes, he died for me. Yes, I accept that. And I'm good to go till I die. And I'm not going to do another thing until then. 
That's really not the idea. Christ is calling us to a transformation of character. For both the believer and the non-believer alike, the question is the same. But if you're looking really sharp, there's actually two questions contained in that one question. So how do we behave? What do we do? The first question is the what. I think we all know the what. We've all been in enough Bible studies to know what. Don't steal. Honor mom and dad. Don't covet. Don't lie. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Right? I mean, we, we know all these things. And we know that there's a life better than this waiting for us. But like the rich young ruler, we just don't know how to go about it. The current way to go about it is to acquire riches. We acquire wealth. We acquire stuff. And we expect it to make us happy. And Jesus stands kind of a, as a comparison to that. What should and shouldn't we do? That's a content question. That's a knowledge question. But how do I put it into practice? That's the difficult question. Which diet plan will work for me? Paul speaks to this very dilemma in Romans chapter 7. He says this, verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, so he knows what. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Like, he, he totally gets it. He knows what he wants to do. He knows he wants to lose weight, but he can't figure out how to go about it, and he keeps sabotaging himself, and he does the things he hates to do, and he doesn't do the things he knows he wants to do. And the rich young ruler went away still searching. Both the what and the how are contained in Jesus' invitation to follow me. Right? This question cuts clear across the line, cuts clear across all of our opinions about how human behavior is normally seen. Like there's two ways. There's two ways only. They're basically the younger brother and the older brother. The first way is we impose, we live by rules imposed by the outside. Right? We, we can live that way. That, that's all good and fine. We can obey those rules. But others of you decide that I'm not a rule follower and I'll find my own rules. I'll toss the institutional rules and I'll create my own rules. And most of us, including Paul, we kind of wobble between the two, right? We try to keep the rules. We do it as often as we can, as long as it's comfortable. But whenever the chance or opportunity presents itself, we break a rule. We really, 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 we, we try, we try so hard to follow in all the rules. And when opportunity presents itself, we tend to, lots of people tend to, well, nobody's looking. And then they go and do something. A little bit of a disconnect here. But Jesus is offering a better, a third way. Follow me and you will be changed. You will receive a type of character. Hit this one. Hit that next one. In which the rule-keeping mentality could never achieve. You will naturally, if you spend enough time with his word, you will naturally make the right decision. I know that sounds kind of weird, right? It, 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 but you will. You will have spent so much time, like when my wife and I are talking, and she bugs her no end, I'll finish her sentences. I've spent so much time with her, I know where she's going with it, right? You kind of get that idea. God is telling us if we spend enough time with his son, if we didn't spend enough time in his word, you will instinctively do what Jesus would have done. What were those bracelets? What would Jesus do? Right? What would you, you'll just do it naturally. A little side story. I ordered 500 of those once from China and they came in. What would do Jesus? 500 bracelets. So I told my teens, if they bring guests, they get a free bracelet. Got to go with the flow, right? Jesus Christ, following him, you will develop the type of character that a rule-keeping mentality will never be able to achieve. 
Additionally, on top of that, you'll finally find your true self. You know, that part of you that says, no, I don't want to follow all these intro rules. They're kind of mean. They're kind of frigid. They're kind of cold. I feel like I'm just going to let the spirit lead me, right? Christ is going to give you that type of, that, that, that type of character that you really can face gray zone situations and be able to make a decision, a grace-filled, mercy-filled decision. I want to close with this story. Y'all heard of Captain Sullenberger? Ring a bell. Landed the airplane on the Hudson River. Ring a bell, everybody. Just very quickly, um, him and his co-pilot, the, the engines are going out, and they had to make a whole bunch of decisions. They have about two and a half minutes to make all these decisions, right? Check this out. In two minutes, they have to shut down the engines, set the speed to glide, get the plane nose down to maintain speed, disconnect autopilot and the override flight management system, activate the ditch system, which closes all the vents and makes the plane floatable, right, so it doesn't fill up with water. Um, and then on top of that, it gets even more intense. With the engines turned off, they had to fly the plane in a tight left-hand turn to land the plane going with the flow of water, quickly straighten the plane out to land level from side to side so it, you know, one doesn't sink in or catch and flip around. Get the nose back up and level to land straight and flat on the water all within two or three minutes. Can you imagine what would have happened if they had to stop and consult the manual? Jesus wants to develop you a character that if somebody snapped you in half, they would see Jesus clear to the center. It wouldn't be a surface, sweet. You would be Jesus clear to the center, Christ-likeness. He's not asking you to add more rules to your life, and he's not asking you to go it along. Go it alone. What he's asking you to do is to wear him, is to be Christ. So what's next? We're going to look at a lot of disciplines, spiritual disciplines, that will get us kind of further along down the road. But again, fear the Lord. As we look at these disciplines, it won't be about us, right? Kind of keep our pride in check. Father, thank you for being with us here this morning. Thank you so much for your son. Thank you for Paul, his, your disciple. Um, thank you for all the gospel writers who, who faithfully recorded the words of your son. Um, and, and this morning, Father, that as we leave this place, that we would seek out and be okay with you totally doing an overhaul of our character. A complete overall, complete makeover where we are actually different people. We have been transformed and people recognize the difference. And when they see us, they see God. Father, that that would happen. Thank you in advance. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Folks, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you so much for being here.